Today is the fifth in a series of five sermons called Holy Healing, designed as a, to describe certain realities in our culture and to provide antidotes from the gospel about how we can live in ways that can be healing, holy healing in our world today. Today's scripture is just one verse to conclude our series. Listen for the word of God from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is talking. Those who try to make their life secure will lose it. But those who lose their life will keep it. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Holy Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee. O God, our strength and our redeemer, we pray. Amen. Okay, let's review. The test will be at 11 o'clock. We can't control the world. Review done. But we try, especially we modern people. In fact, the modern world, at least in the Western world, we, we have organized much of our society and our economy and our health care, our technology, our very lives around the dream of controlling uncontrollable things. A desire to be in a creative relationship with the world has become too often a desire to subdue the world. So much so that we think that this impulse to control the uncontrollable is natural. We think it's human nature. We think it's just part of progress. So enter the five A's of modern life that we have been talking about these past few weeks. Now, when I thought about using words that start with A, I thought that'd be kind of cute, but maybe you disagree. Five A's for five sort of intertwined experiences of modern life, each one of them coming out of our drive to make life better by controlling life but each one of them failing what it promises to us. Each one sort of setting us off balance and each one making it a bit harder to live the life of faith. So we've talked about them. I'm grateful to Eric Kavarian and to our guest Anne Stewart for joining in. If other preachers around here or on the staff have any other ideas about A words and want to join in, Michael, feel free. So we've talked about them. The first of these A's that we talked about, and maybe the one underlying all of them, was acceleration. Acceleration. We all feel it. American culture seems to pursue it relentlessly, like we've put down a wager that if we can just speed things up or get there faster or trade more quickly or get an edge, we can cheat time and live a better life. Speed is more important than almost anything else. 
0 to 60 in 6.5 seconds instead of 7.5 seconds sells the car. I told you about my grandmother, born before automobiles and telephones and airplanes and so many of the things that have speeded up our lives, who once well into her 90s listed out for me all of the things that she had seen change in her life, saying how people in life was getting faster and faster and faster as the years went on, and yet as she saw people doing things so quickly, she said they go so much faster, but they don't seem any happier. And then there was accumulation. That's the gambit that if we can just gather the wagon train into a circle and load up the edges with more and more stuff, higher and higher, we can protect ourselves from our need and we can get a handle on those things that threaten our security or clamor at the gates. Reverend Kruberian shared a remarkable story from his years as an attorney inter interviewing white-collar criminals whose trust in accumulation had taken over their sense of their very selves and had distorted their sense of what is real or what is true. And then there was amplification. I tried to talk about that one. The idea that whoever or whatever is louder or catchier or more pumped up or angrier or more apparently self-assured must also be more worthy of our attention. I reminded you of the story of Elijah who didn't hear God in the wind or in the earthquake but heard God in the still, small voice in the sound of silence. Anne Stewart talked about argumentation. She meant the assumption that seems more and more a part of life that the only reason to play is to win, that agreement is the product not of conversation but of competition, that our culture is becoming a kind of zero-sum game of verbal taunts and emotional manipulations. She told us a story about ourselves, that when we get off the treadmill of constant argument and admit that God is God and we are not, we can admit our imperfections and hear in new ways and speak in new ways. So that's four. Today's A word is number five. Alienation. Another reality of our modern life that doesn't deliver what it promises. But what promises does alienation make, you ask? Alienation doesn't fit the list, you think? Because while there might be a few things about acceleration or accumulation or amplification or 
argumentation that draw us to them as long as we avoid the excesses. There is no promise in alienation. It's always bad. Maybe I should have just stayed with four, you say. Well, okay. Fair enough. But I actually think that while the stake that our culture puts in alienation might be a bit more hidden than the others, it's no less serious. We just don't use that word very much. I actually think that we've made a huge wager in modern life on alienation. Even if the word isn't used, we are often taught to replace healthy separation with alienation. By healthy separation, I simply mean knowing where we end and others begin, and letting careful communication be the breeze that blows in between. By alienation, I mean, at, at least here, separating in order to control, labeling in order to dismiss, to suspect, or to ridicule, or to accuse, or to lose touch rather than take time to understand or build relationships. We're taught to make space for ourselves in the world over against others by building walls, by resisting, or by deciding that we don't really need each other. In other words, alienation. And this leaves so many people, even when they are very busy, feeling alone, isolated, disconnected, and angry. But like the sermons on those other four A's, I'm supposed to offer an antidote. And so I will. As easy as it might be to say and as hard as it might be to live, the antidote for alienation is reconciliation. Reconciliation is an idea that is deeply Christian. It's the, the Apostle Paul's word to the church in Corinth when he said to them very directly, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away, and see, everything becomes new. And this is from God, he goes on, who reconciled himself to us through Christ, and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation is mending what is torn, reuniting what has been wrongly divided. It is about listening and speaking and learning without violence, without competition, without noise. It is about putting things and people that are broken apart by fear or sin or harm or control 
into loving, sometimes courageous interaction. It is about trusting that even if our emotions or the circumstances of our lives sometimes simply make it too hard to heal some things, we are nevertheless promised eternity where one day by God's grace we will all understand, we will all forgive and be forgiven, we will all rejoice together, and we will all be healed. Reconciliation here is about living in the light of that hope. It is a wager that the hard work of love is more life-making and more life-giving than accelerating or accumulating or amplifying or arguing or alienating. The hope of reconciliation is in the story that we tell of Jesus who reconciled the world to himself in his resurrection. It is what the Holy Spirit allows us to experience with God. The antidote to alienation is right there in that single verse read in your hearing just a few minutes ago when Jesus tells us that those who try to make their life will lose it in the end, but those who lose their life will keep it. Those who try to make their life secure will lose their life, but those who lose their life on purpose will keep it. Or as Eugene Peterson translates it, if you grasp and cling to life on your terms, you'll lose it. But if you let that life go, you will get life on God's terms reconciled. A few years ago I told a little story about Trinity Episcopal Church in Lewiston, Maine. Lewiston is the old mill town where I served as a college chaplain. I want to tell you a little more about that story. Trinity was an old privileged church where the mill owners used to worship. Now, the mill managers in that town used to worship at the Baptist church down the road. Now, they were in turn separated from the mill workers who worshiped mostly in the French Catholic church, also a ways away. And then there were the Irish Catholics who did other stuff, and they worshiped in their own place. That was Lewiston, Maine. Never would those groups meet, except in the pecking order on the mill floor or in some kind of grievance that one group had against another. My assistant at the college came from one of those groups. She was actually taught as a child to cross the street when she got near Trinity 
church and to never go near it. She was taught that it was a dangerous place. By the time of my story, all of the mills were closed, long since closed. The congregation at Trinity had dwindled down to nearly none. And the neighborhood around it, now filled with chronically unemployed folk, it was falling into deeper and deeper poverty. Yet even still, even then, walls remained high and suspicion remained deep. Alienation remained a driving force of life in Lewiston, Maine. At one point in the early 90s, the Episcopal Bishop asked a recently retired priest if he'd give a few hours a week to see if Trinity Church could be revived and if an Episcopal presence in Lewiston could be preserved. Bill Baxter took the call. Before retiring to Maine, Bill had made his ministry among powerful, achieving folks on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., but here in Lewiston, he didn't try to rebuild that kind of cell at Trinity. Instead, he just gathered around a few folks who had read the Apostle Paul on reconciliation and who had heard of Jesus' call to lose ourselves, to find ourselves. At first, this little group did nothing. They just prayed. Then, after a while, they turned the volume down on all of the experts and academics and city planners who thought they had the answers. They stopped dividing the neighborhood between those who had stuff and those who didn't have stuff and decided that the answer wasn't money. They stopped trying to preserve what they thought was best by arguing about it. And then eventually, joined by a few students from the college, they decided to become worthy of the ministry to which they were called. And they started by leaving the building. They walked the neighborhood. They knocked on doors. They learned people's names and asked about their lives. They did some grocery shopping for young mothers or homebound elderly who needed a little help. They advocated for the neighborhood with the city they talked with folks about their own lives and their own dreams. They knew they had to make the sidewalk around the church more welcoming before anyone would consider the door. Thinking about what they were learning, they agreed that alienation and loneliness and suspicion and fear in that neighborhood cried out for healing. And so, they decided to feed folk. Just feed them. Friday nights, a free community meal. And people came. At first, just a few. But then a few more. And then a few more. And then a few more. And, and then they began to linger and talk and play together. But all the while doing this in the church basement, the the stairway that went upstairs to the sanctuary above remained dark and locked, intentionally, waiting. You see, reconciliation cannot be rushed. It couldn't be bought. 
or shouted about or argued over. It had to be just lived slowly and fully. A handful of the old Episcopalians left from the old days still worshipped up in the sanctuary upstairs on Sundays in the old way. But even they eventually opened up to what was going on downstairs. So in a while into that, quite a while into all of this, the team thought it might be time to open the stairway and invite folks upstairs. But they wanted to do it when they knew they were not inviting strangers, but they were inviting friends. They were inviting them behind the old walls to sing a new song, to pray a new prayer, and to be reconciled to God and to each other. A few tried it. Not many, but a few. And then Easter came with a little light of resurrection on offer. Easter gave a chance to push things a little bit, and more neighbors came in, many for the very first time. The old priest sprinkled water over the forehead of a baby of one of the Trinity members presented for an Easter baptism, and strains of new music hummed in the background. And while that was all happening, one of the children from the neighborhood came up to the font and he stared at the water and he put his hands in it and played with it and he looked up at the priest and he announced that he wanted to be baptized too. And then another child from the neighborhood walked up and then another one and then a teenager and then one of the adults. And in just a few minutes, there were a dozen folks standing around the baptismal font, folks who had crossed that street to walk on the other side just a few years before, folks who had no community and no future, who were trapped in their homes, were now joining folks who were once strangers but were now friends, asking to be baptized, reconciled to God and to each other in a new church, in a new family, in a new world. And a new church was born that day, healing alienation. So let's review again. We can't control the world. But we're not supposed to. We're supposed to heal the world. Or to put it another way, we're supposed to participate in God healing the world. And so what is holy healing in a world that we can't control? It is slowing down to see God at work. It is in living more simply so we know better how to live justly and faithfully with what we have. It's in being a bit quieter so we can hear a bit better that still small voice of God it is in remembering that we might have something to learn from each other. And it is in letting go so we can get back. So we can get back ourselves, each other, and a world worth living in. Holy healing. Amen. <laughs>